Hello and welcome to the All Things Leadership Podcast, where we bring together accomplished experts to share their diverse perspectives, compelling stories, and insightful lessons on effective leadership and personal growth. So whether you're a seasoned executive navigating the corporate world or an emerging leader on the rise, this podcast is your go-to resource for valuable takeaways to fuel success in your leadership journey. I have with me a very special guest who joins me all the way from Singapore and the person of Anise Haddad. Anise is a C-suite executive coach, ICF PCC certified, senior advisor at McKinsey, external facilitator at Deloitte University. He's a former tech CEO and author of the book, The Eagle That Drank Hummingbird Nectar. Anise, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me, Fred. Looking forward to it. Certainly, the pleasure is all mine. And as you've been working um, in the field of leadership for many, many years, you work more now with C-suite executives and you've seen some transformation that takes place right along um, that, that career profession. I want to dive a little bit into that and talk about the kinds of transformation that takes place when and how and some of the insights that you have on that. So. Give us a little bit of background, Anise, about the work that you do with C-suite um, executives and what you've seen uh, in your experience in terms of that transformation. Right. Great. Okay. Thank you. Um, I, I guess, well, all of this has come out of my own background, which wasn't very clear when I was going through it. Um, so in my 40s, I was still running my company. I built a software company in France, grew it to 30 countries. And uh, I sold it and it was sold in four, when I was 47 in 2007. And I thought it was going to be a serial entrepreneur, but I discovered that um, I was a lot more I was a lot more proud of the people work that I had done with my company. Um, the people have gone off and become CEOs, CTOs, CFOs of other companies. And I found that that part was a lot more intriguing to me and attractive to me than building yet another company, filing more patents, the technology and all that, which shocked me because I was originally a programmer. And what I didn't know at the time is that I was going through a typical midlife process um, where uh, your brain is changing, you have your, now I know, I didn't know back then, <laughs> you've got parts of your brain are slowing down, like the parts where that allow us to remember where we put our car keys or our iPhone yep. or whatever, and, and we're losing that part, so we're just not as fast on those things. And, and at the same time, we've got the two hemispheres are connecting more. So we're able to connect the dots a lot better, um, our emotional intelligence goes up, so all this was happening, and I didn't know that's what was happening. And that, and that created a transformation for me, which led me, when I was 50, to become an executive coach. Um, now I'm in uh, my almost mid-60s now, and it's a lot more clear. I've coached many, many people through that phase, and, and I see it as a, as, as a beautiful period of transformation when you, when you lean into it and, and, and you let yourself go with, rather than resisting the, these changes that we go through and and the power it has on taking your leadership to the next level is is uh, is really astounding to me 
So I've, I've made that my focus. It's been my focus for a long time. Now it's really clearly my focus. What, what, what happens during that transformational phase and these based on your experience with, with executives? What, what are some of the signs or what, what do you coach your leaders uh, through? What, what, what can we expect, right? in that, yeah. that phase um, of, 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 of our leadership. Yeah. Um, so the, the, some of the biggest trends that I notice is uh, we, when that's happening, we tend to resist it because all of our value over the prior two, three decades came from um, having an iron will, getting stuff done, knowing the answers, being bold, taking risks. Um, knowing when we present a spreadsheet to the board, we know the numbers, we're able to speak into the numbers really deeply. All of that stuff is like in that first half. And then these things start happening and we start noticing, you just don't remember the numbers the same way. I don't remember the details behind them the same way. And if we don't understand what's going on, we're going to resist that. And if we're holding on to that as our value, it's going to be hard. Um, so the shift become a lot of people do it kind of intuitively. You end up doing, I did it intuitively, but I lost a lot of money because all the money I had from selling my company went back into trying to build another company and I just wasn't in it anymore. If I'd known that was what was going on, I could have let go easier and faster and, and, and had a smoother transition. So the, 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 the transition becomes, let me let go, let me let me delegate to others around me um, the equivalent of finding my car keys and my iPhone and all that stuff. And let me focus a lot more on the human element, connecting the dots, seeing patterns that other people might be missing because that's how my brain is rewiring now. So that's one, that's one of three areas of transformation I see. Um, I call these three winds of change. Uh, the first one is physiological. Our bodies are changing. Um, it's harder to stay lean. We're not keeping up. With, uh, a coffee hits us harder. We can't party all night and get back in the office the next morning <laughs> the same way. It takes us more time, a day or two in my case, to be able to be effective again. Um, we have our, our, our um, hormones are changing at that age. Um, men, women, all going through different things, but some of the main areas are like testosterone coming down. All kinds of things are happening physically, and that impacts us. Uh, the second wind of change is neurological, which we've been talking about, how the brain changes. And the third one, which actually was the one that first I first started to see clearly, is what I call the parental um, wind of change. And that's where in general, as, as a broad trend, um, people at that age are beginning to see their kids growing up and leaving home. And what I've noticed is through coaching, I've noticed that leaders who have younger children and teens at home bring that kind of energy into their leadership style. So it's very much a KPI-driven style. It's a, let me guide you, let me show you where to go. Um, if you achieve this, you get that. If this happens and it doesn't work out, then here's how you're gonna be punished for it. That kind of energy is there. 
And then you notice people that have grown up children, that energy kind of fades away because that doesn't work anymore. When you're, when you're a parent, do you have kids? Yes, I do. Yeah. We have a 16 year old, um, 16 years old, uh, and, uh, 11. Right. Okay. So you're coming to that point where the 16 year old, um, the types, the, the ways of parenting change dramatically mm -hmm. from throughout that time. Yeah. And, and through that parenting, through that analogy and looking at how our, our parenting styles change, we can notice that we change as human beings. Yeah. And that change also comes out in leadership. Yeah. Um, you don't often see board members who pretty much always have adult children. I'm, I'm, I'm really exaggerating and generalizing, but you don't often see board members talk about the team the same way that the executive committee talks awesome. about them. So I, that's what I noticed early on. Um, I noticed little little words that would come out, uh, like someone would say, why can't, why do they act like children? Um, or uh, um, I only share what's necessary. I, I don't want to share too much. And you, when you start hearing some of these words, you can see the subtle links to parenting. So anyway, these are three big areas of change that I find absolutely fascinating. And and for me, it, it, it gives senior executives an opportunity to really look inside, transform themselves, allow themselves to be transformed by what's happening around them and become much better leaders, human beings, um, and, and ideally set them up for decades more of uh, doing stuff that they love and, and, and work that's productive that they enjoy doing. It's, it sounds to me, Anise, um, like they're... The, the, there has to be a level of awareness, right, within 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 the leadership um, circles, right, in, in knowing, you know, when to sort of, you know, dial down or when to sort of kind of hand over certain things. But at, what are some of the implications uh, here here in, in leadership? Because we, we've seen it. We see it play out in politics. We see it play out in, um, in, in the corporate world where, you know, people just tend to Want to, want to hold on, right? To, for obvious reasons, we're not trying to, you know, decipher or you know, trying to figure things out here. But what are the implications of leadership? Because you hear people say, "Well, you know, uh, you got to keep going until you know, until you can't anymore, right?" When when do we know when it's time to sort of dial down um, or sort of balancing that desire to go, 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 go versus knowing knowing when to stop? If that yeah. makes sense. I think the uh, go, go, go continues, but it changes uh, shape. Um, the go, go, go starts to look different. Yep. Um, everyone is going to have a different way of dialing through this, uh, obviously. I think the biggest, this is where mindfulness comes in, what we were talking about just before um, we went live. Yep. And anyone who practices mindfulness and is able to accept where they are, accept their thoughts going wild, just watching the thoughts and observing them, um, would be a lot better equipped to make that transition. Uh, just simply observing themselves and say, oh, hey, that's where my prefrontal cortex is kind of screwing up now, doesn't remember what this numbers are, it's okay. I have people around me and that energy looks very different in a boardroom than a CEO struggling to remember and screwing up and then feeling guilty and then looking like it, that it just, 
it just creates a, there's a lot of body language, things that go on and all that. So that acceptance of it and saying, hey, that's, that's where we're going to. And that's, uh, I was coaching. So this wonderful, um, this team in uh, uh, Southeast Asia, a bank, I've been working for the last year with the executive committee, the CEO and C-suite and the executive committee. We've done five retreats and coached a few of their top people. And a fascinating thing was these are all, these are all people in that age range, all in their 40s and 50s, and all of them brilliant. And they'd gotten here through coming up through consulting organizations. It's an international bank, and, and so it's got a, a wide variety of people. And you mentioned the amygdala. You, there was a sense throughout many of the conversations, you could feel the amygdala getting um, overly excited in the, in the meeting. So that's where people are interrupting each other. You're talking over each other. The quiet ones are staying quiet because they don't know how to jump into the conversation. And the CEO is getting flustered. And it just doesn't feel good. Um, and, and things are just kind of not moving. And then we, we practiced an activity of uh, something called generative, uh, generative listening, where it's like passing a, a talking stick. And you go through a structured approach where each person talks and they're not interrupted, no questions, no feedback. And then it goes to the next person. And then it, it went through... 13, 14 people, and then it gets to the CEO. And, and by that time, because the CEO had not jumped in at all, he was able to absorb everything. And the dot connecting, the patterns he was able to see were phenomenal. Mm. You could really see his brain functioning at, a, at where it's functioning at his best. Um, so those kinds, of, those kinds of little things make huge differences. Yeah. Uh, what... what um... What role does emotional intelligence play in these, in, in, in these uh, if, if, if at all? Oh, yeah, it's very deeply involved with that. And thankfully, emotional intelligence is one of the things that naturally develops in our midlife. <laughs> we have a natural um, um, trend tendency to have our, our emotional intelligence develop. Um, it allows people to um, be more humble as they listen to others. It allows them to empathize with others more deeply. Um, it allows them to understand that if someone is saying something, um, perhaps there's some fear that's driving what they're saying. So let me not take it at face value. Let me just let the statement go past. Um, so those kinds of uh, abilities are, are increased at that age. Yeah, uh, going back to the, the types of change uh, that, that happens here, uh, you talked about the physiological, hormonal, and also the neurological. Oftentimes when we hear change management, we're, we're looking at it from a, either the people side of change or the project side of change. But very rarely, uh, at least in my case, we hear, um, of course we know it happens, right? But you don't, you don't hear the focus a lot, um, you know, at least in leadership on you know, neurological, you know, physiological, if anything, I, th I think people downplay it, right? They don't want to come to grips with the fact that something is happening because it's a sign of weakness. It's showing that yeah. I'm, I'm going sound, right? But yeah. how would you um, look at change from that perspective and not only from a technical side or, or a people side, but look at it from, you know, even, uh, you know, the transformation that takes place in the body? Yeah. 
There's a, I don't think this would have been possible. It would have been extremely difficult 10 years ago. Um, when I was running my company in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, very few people had executive coaches at the time. You'd hire a skill-based coach for media speaking and stuff like that. Um, so we're in a different world today where I think people are much more aware. Um, books on longevity and health and diets and what, is, what kind of activities are best for this. How do I deal with higher cholesterol? There's so much more out there that I think people are a lot more attuned to it than they would have been in the past. Um, when I'm in a room filled with people in their 40s and 50s, there isn't much of, a, of an issue from that standpoint. You do have a lot of people that are still resisting it. I go to the gym three times. I resist that part of it. I want to continue being active. I know a lot of people in my age range that are doing marathons and stuff. And, and part of it can be, I want to resist that. I don't want to get older. I don't, I still want to be youthful and young and all that. And at the same time, there's a growing realization that uh, there is some value in that, but there's, there's more value in other stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's quite complex and rich and deep. Yeah, the, these are these are some powerful concepts here, uh, insights here on ease that that we're talking about because we're, you know, we 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 tend to, and I'm using we here, um, generally here or, or broadly speaking, that we tend to sort of dissociate, you know, all all of that from 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 the work that we do, right? And sometimes it's just work, 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 but we realize we forget to think about the fact that what happens to us or what happens to work or they're, they're very interrelated, right? Our, our health directly impacts how we feel and how we function at work. But yet, we tend to want to separate the two. I was doing, um, I was having a coaching session. I was actually coaching, uh, coaching a C-suite executive who, um, you know, was going through some some transitions at work and very clearly stressed out. And I asked, you know, you know, what they were doing to, to sharpen their proverbial saw. Whether you know they were taking time off work and because this, you know person would stay you know very late sometimes in the wee hours and uh almost didn't want to hear it right well you know i have so much work to do you know i feel like at night is when i get a chance to do it and and i i i may be speaking for you know some of the c-suite um executives maybe you can tell me here but why is it so difficult or what is is it really important for c-suite executives to really take time to sharpen the sort of you know, allow allow themselves that that break. I've, I've heard too many stories of people who, you know, they we talked about the go go go. They get to that point where their bodies can't take it anymore. I had a uh, a business uh, an entrepreneur actually who lives in Singapore who suffered a, a, a stroke. Um, was busy spending time building this um, you know conglomerate you know million dollar business. And one time he said he was going into his car for a meeting and. He sat in his car and he was trying to lift the other foot into the car and, and it wouldn't move and he, he suffered a stroke. And uh, 10 years on, he's still learning to, you know, gain his mobility back. And I asked him if there was anything he would change or do differently. And I, I remember this so clearly. He said, Fred, one thing I'll do differently is spend time uh, more with my family. Uh, mm. So it's, 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 it's hindsight, right? We want to get, we want to accomplish, we want to do all of that. But um, at what point do we need to realize that, you know, it's important to take time to sharpen that sore 
or balance things out, right? So we can keep being there or being being present yeah. uh, for either ourselves or our family or, or, you know, the people we love. There was a guy very similar as you were speaking. There was a CEO of uh, um, an Asia Pacific, the subsidiary the global, of a global company who was quite proud. Um, this was in Singapore. He was quite proud of only sleeping four hours a night because uh, he felt that it was a waste of time to be sleeping and he pushed himself hard. He had a heart attack and died. Um, no, no, uh, from what I understand, no knowable health issues before that that had been identified, just young guy. And now looking backwards on it, it's quite clear that it was that, that lifestyle of, of uh, uh, celebrating no sleep. But I don't think many people believe that anymore now, at least not in the environment that I'm usually yeah. exposed to. I, I, I feel like post-COVID, there's been a, a, more, a significant shift towards, towards wellness, right? Um, yeah. Given what we went through with, with the pandemic, and uh, it could be attributable, right, uh, to, yeah. to you know, people prioritizing things um, that way. And what are some of the mindfulness techniques um, that you, you share um, or that you offer your, your executive coaching clients, or at least in, in your line of work? What do you, um, any, any, any recommendations there, any, any, any tips that uh, leaders, leaders can, can leverage? Yeah. So some of the most, um, uh, how to put it, mainstream or the immediate things that we think about with mindfulness, I would encourage them to just do some breath meditation, um, very simple stuff, uh, Google it on the web, find, uh, find YouTube videos and stuff. It's extremely simple, just sitting a few minutes a day watching the breath. Um, and I'm finding over the last few years, that's really gone up a lot. There are a few years ago, I'd ask a whole room of executives, how many people practice mindfulness? There'd be two, three hands that go up. And then now most of the room will lift, lift their hand that they do it occasionally. Um, so from that perspective, the, the basics, simply breath meditation, watching your emotions, um, your feelings, your physical sensations, um, that part of it is pretty straightforward. Now, it goes a little bit further when um, I encourage them to notice their emotions, not when they're necessarily meditating, but just in a conversation. Um, so interrupting a conversation, I do a timeout, either working with a group or individually timeout, what's, what's, what's that emotion going on right now? Uh, so becoming mindful of how they're feeling in that moment. Um, in, a, in, a, in a team setting, it's also becoming mindful of what is the group mood or group energy that's happening right now. And that, that form of mindfulness can be very powerful because it, it informs the actions that we're taking. Um, are we taking it out of fear? Are we taking it out of there's some kind of excitement going on? Um, is there a mix in the room? I, I like that, taking mindfulness to that um, living space, yeah. uh, action space. Yeah. And so I'll start to wrap up here. And is what, having coached or having worked through those uh, different age groups, maybe 40s and maybe mid 50s and maybe now 60s, what, 
looking back, what, what advice would you give to your your younger self, right? Your 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 middle leader who was, you know, in their maybe forties and mid forties, and what advice would you would you give to that 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 person or that or that leader in that in that group? Oh, if I to myself, yeah. I know the typical answer to that is nothing. I'd let them figure it out and I wouldn't change anything, but I would. I'd go back and uh, I'd go back and tell myself to um, that I have a lot more value than I think that I have. Hmm. My value isn't limited to what I thought my career was at the time. Um, when I look back now, I thought I really had only one shot. It was building the company that I had built and then maybe another one like it. Um, I didn't think I had any value beyond that. So my value is very linked to that kind of um, delivery, uh, operational excellence. Um, now I see my value isn't in having those answers and knowing what to do and being creative. And now my value is in asking questions that are really um, relevant to people, um, connecting with people, very different space. I never would have realized that back then. Wow, that's powerful here. How about that um, CEO now, or that leader, or that executive um, who's, you know, starting to see these types of shifts, um, whether, you know, physiologically, you know, neurologically or, or parental in that phase, maybe in the 50s, 60s, and still wanting to hold on and still wanted to remember all the stats and all the data and all of that, what, what would you tell them now? Uh, I, I get into kind of a um, lighthearted mode in most of my coaching. So it's kind of like, that's natural being human resisting that stuff because it's powerful stuff and and we've built you've built your whole career on this obviously you're going to hold on to that i i would i would really stick to the areas where they see that they're already transitioning which is why i really love the parenthood one because anyone with kids growing up immediately gets it and they understand how they've changed as parents, and they can see how the way they talk is different. Um, I've even used it quite often. There's a bit of a lag. Um, they're 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 moving forward on the parenting side, and they're learning to let go, and they're learning to treat their late teens, early twenties kids as adults, and having adult conversations with them. But yet they're not quite doing that with their teens. So when I point that out, they'll usually laugh and they go, oh, my God, yeah, I'm, I'm treating my team the way I used to treat my daughter yeah. five years ago. Because <laughs> they get stuck in it and they don't see that they're also evolving on that side. Right. Once they see it, it just opens, it just yeah. moves. Yeah. I, I can't, you're an author of the book, The Eagle That Drunk, Hummingbird nectar I, I i couldn't resist that um I, t tell us about this this book what why the title and, and what what is that what does it capture here uh, so the book is um semi-autobiographical maybe 20 30 percent autobiographical 70 percent fiction 
on my own transformation at 50 after selling my company and then trying to figure out what I was really going to do next. Um, and it's a first person narrative. The, um, the title comes from a dream that the protagonist has at the beginning, which is a dream that I had when I was still running my company. Um, it, the, 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 there, there are two dreams. It's with an eagle. And the eagle that drank hummingbird nectar is because that's how he's, he's healed. That's the second dream. It's a bookend. There's the dream of the eagle at the beginning of the book. There's another dream of the same eagle at the end. In the book, in the story, it's like a six-month period in between. For me, it was maybe 10 years. This guy is the better version of myself who learns faster. He can make a mistake once and learn from it as opposed to me. So um, it comes from that. It's uh, I don't want to give it away why yeah. drinking hummingbird nectar, yeah. but um, it's juxtaposing two very different things. The eagle yeah. is a hunter. The eagle has this... Uh, very grounded gravitas kind of energy which is a very much an executive ceo kind of energy hummingbird is joyfulness sweetness uh, and all that so it's it's bringing that into the into the into the into life thanks for sharing that and i want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and sharing um you know your insights and unique insights i might add on on, on leadership and, and mindfulness and, and the transformation and being self-aware, right, of the changes that happen um, as we as we develop um, our, our leadership, and I think knowing 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 how to balance things out, right, I think is is, is really critical. Uh, really appreciate you you spending time and, and sharing your your insights. Now, are there any resources on either website that um, you know someone wants to learn about you? You know, where can they find more information about you? We'll make sure we add that into the show notes as well. Yeah, my, my website is just my first name, anise.com, A-N-E-A-C-E.com. And uh, everything is there. I'm also on LinkedIn, Anis Haddad. I have a, my first name is, 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 is so unique in its spelling, at least, that it was easy to get a website for that. Um, so I'm quite easy to find online. Very well. We appreciate you coming on. I know it's uh, early in Singapore. Uh, I was... Uh as of the time of uh, this recording and I want to say thank you to our, our listeners as well we couldn't really do this without without you without you tuning in and uh, and, and supporting um, I want to thank you for your continued support of uh, the All Things Leadership Podcast until we come your way next time with another edition of the podcast thank you and stay well <laughs>